It is Tuesday, August 8th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, an examination of the voter roll and why your name might be removed from it. You walk in and you may be feeling a little nervous or intimidated anyway, and then they go, nah, you're not on the list. I mean, that's, you know, people may never come back if that happens. Plus, the largest single gift in Arkansas children's history. When we place $12.5 million in endowment, the money sits there in perpetuity. It will be there long after I'm gone as president and CEO. And for his latest novel, Keith Fire uses real-life knowledge to write about music, friendship, and the challenges of addiction. You and I know so many people who have been through these things. And so, in a way, uh, in a way, it is about real people. Before that, the hour's news from NPR. The Scott Family Amazium in Bentonville invites families to play and make amazing memories this summer. Discover hands-on experiences for all ages, all summer long. The Amazium is open every day except Tuesdays. Hours, upcoming programs, and more at amazium.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Ahead today, how Art Ventures works to connect artists, their work, and patrons. And the largest single gift in Arkansas children's history will help fund an expansion of Arkansas Children's Northwest in Springdale. That's all ahead. First, though, in odd years such as 2021 and 2023, the Arkansas Secretary of State works to maintain the list of registered voters across the state. How can you make sure that your registration is not in jeopardy of being removed? Matthew has the details. In 1993, President Bill Clinton signed into law the National Voter Registration Act. Many refer to this as the Motor Voter Act because it requires state DMVs to offer voter registration opportunities to people applying for a driver's license. The law also prohibits states from removing registered voters from the voter rolls unless certain criteria are met. This includes standard things like the death of a person, a felony conviction, or having moved to a different state. But it also includes the frequency that someone votes. Kristen Foster is the deputy executive director of Get Loud Arkansas, and she says that in the 2021 voter roll maintenance, around 100,000 people were removed from the voter rolls in Arkansas. She says that not voting, whether by choice or by circumstance, is not a good reason for someone to be removed from the voter roll. It shouldn't be taken away. Um, It shouldn't be use it or lose it. The National Voter Registration Act allows states to remove voters who have not voted in two consecutive federal general elections and failed to respond to a confirmation notice from an elections office. Leslie Bellamy is the director of elections with the Arkansas Secretary of State, and she says after a person misses two federal election cycles, they'll get a postcard from their local county clerk that is an address confirmation. And then they mail that back if they want to continue to participate. This notice automatically moves a voter to an inactive status. When a voter answers and returns that card to their county clerk, their status is returned to an active status. If you missed or did not respond to that address confirmation notice, you do have another option. The only thing that you would have to do while you're in that inactive status is vote. And that vote being recorded would trigger you to be to the active status. That's automatic in our program. Now, if you miss a third federal election, another mailing is sent out to confirm your address. 
If there is no response to that notice, the voter is then removed. However, there are thousands of voters in Arkansas, from Ashley County to Yale County, and nearly every county in between, whose status is being incorrectly changed in 2023. So sometimes people are removed immediately after missing only one election. Sometimes they are removed on the next, and sometimes it does go that full um, two cycles. And so it just kind of depends. But what we see happening regularly is that folks who've missed just one or two elections are getting kicked off the voting rolls. Get Loud Arkansas provided me with some data they collected from the Secretary of State's office on May 30th, 2023, that shows that more than 1,400 Arkansas voters who participated in the 2022 election are on the list to be moved to an inactive status. Another 2,200 voters who were registered in 2022 are listed as inactive, despite only being able to participate in one federal election. Another 324 voters have registered to vote after the deadline for the 2022 election. They are marked inactive as well, despite having zero opportunities to vote in a federal election. I reached out to Becky Llewellyn, the Washington County clerk, to better understand this data and why these people may have been listed as inactive. For some, it could have been as simple as a misprinted or incorrectly entered mailing address. Llewellyn says that when you register to vote, an ID card is mailed to you. If this card is returned to the county clerk's office, they mark that voter as inactive. Of the more than 2,200 voters on the list who registered in 2022 prior to the election, about half of them fall in this category. What's less clear is the remaining 1,153 voters on this list. I provided Llewellyn with several different examples of voters on this list, and she could not determine why they had been added to it. The same is true for those 324 newly registered voters. Now, remember what Bellamy said earlier about someone who has been marked inactive in the voter roll. The only thing that you would have to do while you're in that inactive status is vote. But if for some reason you cannot or don't vote in the 2024 general election, you're significantly closer to being removed completely from the roll. You know, voting is already something that can seem a little intimidating. It feels like we're all supposed to know exactly what to do when we get there. But then, you know, it's something that we do every couple of years. So it's not like the most familiar process for people. And you walk in and you may be feeling a little nervous or intimidated anyway. And then they go, nah, you're not on the list. I mean, that's, you know, people may never come back if that happens. Foster and Get Loud Arkansas ran demographic data on the 100,000 people who were removed from the voter roll in 2021. We found that people of color are almost twice as likely to be removed from the rolls. Um, people under 35 years old make up a vast majority of the list. Bellamy says she thinks the intention of this regular maintenance of the rolls is to help if people have moved, making sure that people who shouldn't be voting in Arkansas elections, for whatever reason, are not doing so. And, in her opinion, two federal election cycles is a good trigger for that. It appears as if you're not participating or you're not able to participate anymore, you've passed away, 
or you've moved or you're just not interested and don't want to vote anymore, if you're really going to participate, most people at least participate in those cycles. This is inconsistent as well, unfortunately. Another list from data collected by the Secretary of State's office contains more than 74,000 registered voters who have not voted in an election since 2016 at most recent. Some voters on this list haven't voted in an election since April of 2011. And while all 74,000 plus are currently listed as inactive, they could show up to vote in the 2024 election and get bumped right back up to an active status. Get Loud Arkansas has a simple little form you can fill out on their website to check if you are at risk of being removed from the voter roll this year. We'll have a link to that at ozarksatlarge.com. Foster says she's heard from people who were surprised to find their name on that list. We've heard of folks who were like getting their hair dre- like hair fixed and they asked their hairdresser to like they put in their name for them and their hairdresser was on the list. She says if you find your name on that list and your address hasn't changed. Fill out a very quick form and we'll mail it in for you. If your address has changed, you do have to fill out a new registration form. And that's for anybody. If you, if you move and your address changes, you need to fill out a new form uh, to get up to date with your county clerk. You can find links to the Get Loud Arkansas form as well as a new voter registration form on our website. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. And voters are going to the polls in Sebastian County and Alma today, both ballot matters would extend existing sales tax if approved. Sebastian County voters are deciding if a countywide 1% sales tax first approved in 1994 will remain for another 10 years. If rejected, the tax would sunset next summer. Alma voters are determining if a 1% sales tax there, first approved in 2014, will stay on the books. It's scheduled to end this fall. Polls are open today until 7.30 p.m. Later this hour, Keith Byer's new novel follows a group of part-time musicians in eastern Oklahoma through decades of friendship, loss, and the challenges of addiction. And, and he says it took him 10 years to sort of figure out that it, it wasn't other people, it was me. I did it to myself. And uh, I think that's, I, I thought that was a, that's something that a lot of people don't ever come to. Keith Vire discusses his new book, The Black Telecaster, A Crossroads Story, in about 12 minutes right here on Ozarks at Large. The latest edition of The R Word, a podcast that explores reparations role in racial, social, and economic justice, features an interview with propaganda. Come from eastern side of Los Angeles, predominantly Mexican and, and uh, Filipino. You know, during some of the bigger movements in L.A. around hip-hop, uh, skate, skateboarding, all that. So it's really, really cool, really cool time to be alive. The R Word podcast, available now at KUAF.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This past Friday night's Gala of Hope, an annual fundraiser for Arkansas Children's, included a big announcement. With a gift of $25 million. Mandy Mackey is the executive director of the Willard and Pat Walker Charitable Foundation, the organization making that gift of $25 million to Arkansas Children's. It's the largest single donation ever made to Arkansas Children's, and it's the largest single gift ever made by the Walker Charitable Foundation. Half of the gift, $12.5 million, will be used for expansion efforts at Arkansas Children's Northwest and Springdale. The other half will be used to create an endowment. Friday afternoon, before the announcement was made public, Mandy Mackey was at the hospital in Springdale to talk about the gift. Pat was the the 
the ultimate cheerleader for the people of Arkansas, but specifically for children. It didn't matter if they were children in her neighborhood, her own grandchildren, children at her um, church. She really cared. Pat really cared about the children of Northwest Arkansas. And she was a big supporter of Arkansas Children's um, in Little Rock and was excited about the plans for Arkansas Children's Northwest. So I know that she would be smiling. She is smiling down on us today um, at the great work that Arkansas Children's Northwest has been, has been doing for the past five years but is excited to see where this next chapter takes us. Marcy Doderer, the president and CEO of Arkansas Children's, says the $12.5 million mark for expansion comes at the right time. We opened Arkansas Children's Northwest five years ago already, 2018. When we built it, we knew it was right for the community at the time, but we also always had our eye towards the future, which is really how we operate. And so it is now time to expand the hospital to take care of more kids every day. There's 220,000 kids in Northwest Arkansas. We need to grow the number of inpatient beds, the number of um, operating rooms, the number of procedure rooms, clinic rooms, expand our diagnostic spaces, all of that. So we are deep in that design um, phase to add a pretty significant expansion to the building, four four floors attached to the existing building. Doderer says the expansion of the Northwest Arkansas Hospital will allow staff to take care of sicker children, patients who have been diagnosed with more significant diagnoses and injuries. To do that, she says the Springdale Hospital will add space, add more equipment, and more personnel. She says Arkansas Children's expansion plans also call for recruiting 30 new physicians to the hospital. That we can expand how many um, cancer kids we take care of, orthopedics, general surgery, all of those things. So... It's really a, a complex vision for people, programs, and places. And Doderer says the other half of the $25 million gift will be used as seed money for an endowment. When we place $12.5 million in endowment, that money sits there in perpetuity. It will be there long after I'm gone as president and CEO. It is the spend rate from that. It's the proceeds from the endowment that we will use annually to recruit those providers to help put together recruitment and retention packages to augment our services, augment our equipment. And it's it's really, a, you know, it's the cliche, but it is the gift that keeps on giving as an endowment. And we're really excited to, to partner with them to do that. Mandy Mackey, the executive director of the Willard and Pat Walker Charitable Foundation, says the endowment is going to not just provide more health care for more families closer to home, but she thinks it will make the region a better place to live. It's going to be used as a, re- a recruitment and a retention tool to get the best physicians from across the country to come and live and work right here in Northwest Arkansas, and that's important. We're, we're competing with Boston and Philadelphia to get these top-notch physicians and other health care providers to come here. And in order to do that, you have to have an endowment. You have to show them that you're committed to these programs. And in turn, the third thing that's really exciting is that this endowment and this recruitment of new doctors, we're going to be able to help recruit for all of Northwest Arkansas businesses because as our Northwest Arkansas business community tells us we're we're having to recruit across the country and they're having to show these these new employees what Northwest Arkansas has to offer and having a robust children's health care program Arkansas Children's Northwest is going to be a recruitment tool for all Northwest Arkansas businesses so it's really exciting and Marcy Doder says the Walker family and foundation will be honored with a name change for the Springdale campus we are also pleased to announce that the campus will now be called the Arkansas Children's Northwest Pat Walker Campus. So her name will live forever on our signage. 
we will um, be in true affinity with the foundation um, and really want to honor her legacy for years and years to come. Marcy Doderer and Mandy Mackey talked with us at Arkansas Children's Hospital in Springdale Friday afternoon, just a few hours before the $25 million gift was announced to the public. This is Ozarks at Large. Tyson Foods will close four chicken processing plants, including facilities in McDonald County, Missouri, and North Little Rock. Talk Business and Politics reports the closures represent the loss of about 2,800 jobs, including about 1,500 jobs at a plant in Knoll, Missouri. Knoll is fewer than 20 miles north of the Arkansas and Benton County borders. Both the Knoll and North Little Rock plants are scheduled to close in October. Also on Monday, Tyson reported a quarterly net income loss of $417 million. The State Department of Human Services has settled a lawsuit with three disabled Arkansans for loss or reduction of home-based Medicaid services. DHS paid $460,000 to resolve the federal lawsuit filed by Bob Taylor of Fayetteville, Ginger Elder of Jonesboro, and Jacqueline Dearmore of Yellville. Each received $120,000, with the rest covering legal fees. Kevin D. Bon is a director of advocacy for Legal Aid of Arkansas, which represented the plaintiffs. Normally, people on public benefits don't have the option to sue state governments for money when things go wrong, even when they go badly wrong. Here, our clients suffered for two or three months without the care that they need, and that was just such an awful time for them. Um, And so I'm just so thankful and happy for them that they can have some money as a result of that suffering. The three sued the state in 2019 after DHS changed its eligibility requirements, which DeLaban says left them without vital care services. They uh, were cut. One was terminated entirely from the program. The other two uh, had their hours cut by 30%. Um, Under the U.S. Constitution, when you are facing a benefit cut like that, you have the right to appeal. And if you appeal, you have the right to keep your services at the same level until the appeal is decided. What happened here is even though all three of our clients appealed and asked that their benefits be kept in place, DHS implemented the cuts immediately. And so our three clients went without needed care services and suffered because of it. He says the settlement also requires DHS to improve the ARC Choices program for the nearly 11,000 people enrolled. One DHS has to update its appeal procedures so that this problem does not happen again to other people. Every time somebody appeals a benefit cut in time and ask that their services continued, they should have those services continued. DHS has to extend the timeline within which people can file appeals and keep receiving their benefits. And DHS has to meet quarterly with legal aid um, and will be able to get information needed to know whether or not those changes are, are taking place and, and have been implemented. He says the plaintiffs plan to use the money for functional items like medical beds, motorized wheelchairs, and modified vehicles to help them get around. 
Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is appointing Jim Hudson to be the next chief fiscal officer and secretary of the Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration. He replaces Larry Walther. Walther is now the state treasurer appointed to that position after the death of Mark Lowry. Hudson has worked at the Arkansas Economic Development Commission and the Arkansas Department of Commerce. Before that, he served for 11 years in pastoral ministry at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock. A new bipartisan law in Arkansas regarding the opioid crisis is gaining national attention. Democratic Little Rock Representative Tara Shepard appeared on KARK's Capital View program this weekend to discuss her legislation that mandates that all schools and colleges have overdose rescue kits containing naloxone. I ran off a campaign that I would protect children. I am a former licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor, um, and we know based on surveys given to our college students that most drug use for uh, starts between the ages of 16 to 20 years old. And so as part of my campaign promise, I want to ensure that our children were protected. Shepard's law gained the attention of Republican U.S. Georgia representative and pharmacist Buddy Carter. Shepard said she met with Carter in Washington to discuss a similar bill to be implemented at the federal level. We held a couple of interviews and discussed this legislation and that this was not a partisan issue. This is about saving lives. Roughly 300 Americans a day die from opioid uh, overdose. And so we want to work together to show that we can, in fact, do something to save lives. Leaders of Arkansas's Opioid Recovery Partnership and former state drug czar Kirk Lane also expressed support for the legislation. Money for the legislation will come from a legal settlement Arkansas won against drug companies to fund programs battling the opioid crisis. The Arkansas women's soccer team will start the season ranked eighth in the nation. The ranking in the preseason United Soccer Coaches poll is the second straight preseason top 10 ranking for the program, and it is the fourth consecutive year the program has started the season ranked in the top 15. The Razorback women's basketball team is touring Europe, and it's off to a good start. Yesterday, the Razorbacks defeated in Croatia All-Stars 124-12. to Yeah. That's the right About 112 points, yes. The team also had a chance to tour split and has still... Some exhibition games left. They're going to be in Dubrovnik and in Athens, Greece, later this week. The opponent for that game in Athens, the University of Regina from Saskatchewan. Just so you know, Fayetteville and Regina are 1,320 miles apart, but Fayetteville almost 6,000 miles from Athens, Regina nearly 5,600 miles. The Northwest Arkansas Naturals are returning to Arvest Ballpark tonight as a first-place team. The Naturals have a half-game lead over the Springfield Cardinals in the Texas League North. The Nats have won three straight and start a six-game home series against Wichita tonight. Every day, you hear lots of news on Ozarks at Large. But have you ever wanted to test your listening skills? Now you can with KOAF's Word Puzzle. It's just like your other favorite daily word games that feature five-letter words and color-based hints. But you might even get a hint from the previous day's Ozarks at Large broadcast. Go to KUAF's website or newsword.org slash KUAF to start playing daily puzzles now. This is Ozarks at Large. Keith Byer's new novel, The Black Telecaster, A Crossroads Story, is about friends who form a band. Not to get famous, but to spend time with a shared passion. The book, mostly set in Sepulpa in eastern Oklahoma, is centered on music but examines friendship, addiction, reconciliation, and aging. The book is fiction, but Keith draws on a pair of his life's passions, music 
and counseling to bring his characters to life. He's a songwriter, and he has a Ph.D. in rehabilitation, counseling, and education from the University of Arkansas. In Black Telecaster, Keith explores real people with real jobs and real challenges. Almost everybody, you and I have known many people who who become uh, musicians and start a band, and most people want to make it big, you know, and none of these guys really had that in mind. They, they, they sort of all had this idea, I'll have a day job, and I'll be good at that, and this will be something I do for fun. You know? And that's very unusual. Jimmy, who is sort of the person who starts the band, has a problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it causes him, I'm not going to give too much away here, but it causes a split between he and his band members. Right. And again, this is one of those incidents that could be very small, that no one notices but it has ripples throughout their lives. How did you decide how to show how that split affected the others? Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really not sure, Kyle. I know that the, 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 the guy, uh, Smitty, who was sort of the, the guy who kept everything together, uh, he, he had this, uh, just this feeling internally that he was a good person and he always tried to do the right thing. And that's the one thing in his life that he felt that he had screwed up. He thought that when, when Jimmy uh, had a problem with alcohol and he fired him from the band, although it was probably the right thing to do, it, it, it hurt him for years that he had done that and that he didn't find a better way out. So I think, uh, um, I think that was really the, the, the thing that – it was the thread throughout the story. Uh, but um, but it, 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 it's real life. You know, that's what happens when, when people screw up and drink too much. <laughs> they mess things up for everybody else. The title object, the Black Telecaster, factors in in a major way, but in this way that it's also kind of forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really like that part of the story. And uh, the Black Telecaster, uh, th- that, that, I was halfway through the thing when I decided that that was going to be the, the title and the theme of things. But... Um, I've known lots and lots of musicians in my life, and they, they really are, uh, uh, you know, we always say there, there are two kinds of people in the world. Well, there are two kinds of guitar <laughs> players in the world. There are guitar players who love to have, they could have 30, 40, 50 guitars. My friend Ed Nicholson has more <laughs> guitars than, than, than you could shake a stick at. And there are people who have a guitar, and that is their guitar, and nobody touches it, you know. Well, he turned, he was the guy, Jimmy was the guy who just had this this guitar, um, and he had come to realize that his mother had overspent for it, couldn't afford it, bought it on time, um, and, and it really meant a lot to him. He never touched another guitar. Even after this incident where, where the guitar was, was uh, trashed, he never played guitar again, you know. And I, I, that sort of has some, uh, um, I don't know, it has some deeper meaning to me. Jimmy, as we mentioned, is an alcoholic. He has to leave the band, and you... Write about him matter-of-factly, the mm-hmm. life he has afterward, how he can't forget this incident that, again, wouldn't be that big a deal outside of the small circle of friends. Right. It's not going to be front-page story or anything like that. And I'm just wondering what you did to kind of try to understand Jimmy. You know, I think I've known people like Jimmy. Uh, I think I've known people who uh, had a problem with alcohol, maybe drugs, uh, and who knew they had a problem, but just could not get away from it, you know. Uh, and in the in the book, I mentioned that that Jimmy 
um, after he left the band, he was all angry and, you know, they had done him wrong. <clears throat> and, and he says it took him 10 years to sort of figure out that it, it wasn't other people. It was me. I did it to myself. And uh, I think that's I, I thought that was a that's something that a lot of people don't ever come to. They don't ever come to realize that. And I thought it, it showed that he was a he was a deeper person than, than he seemed to be. You know, I also thought it was realistic in that at one point, Jimmy admits, yeah, I have a problem with alcohol, yeah. but he has no interest in in seeking sobriety. Yeah, I think he just thought it was too late at that mm-hmm. point, you know, and, and at one point he just says, I'm a hopeless drunk. And, he, he's and, kept a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, and he took pride in that. Yeah, he he uh, he took pride in and never having to go to anybody else for help. Uh, probably uh, didn't go to anybody else for help in any other way, but certainly not for his for his alcoholism either. You know, those two things are probably combined. You know, as long as I can do it on my own, I'm okay. As I was reading this the first time, I read it twice. About a fourth of the way through, I said, "Wait." Is this a documentary? Are these people he knew, and he's giving us the five thousand, uh, you know, feet above, mm-hmm. you know, a memory of it or or documentation of it? But I did think for a bit maybe this is nonfiction. As I said earlier, you and I know so many people who have been through these things, and so in a way, uh, in a way, it is about real people, but. Pieces of different lives kind of put together uh, to be Jimmy, for example. Um, I've known people a lot like Smitty. And so it, 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 it's, uh, it, it is fiction, but it's based on real mm. people, you know. It's told in really four chapters. There's, you know, getting together. Mm-hmm. There's like the incident, mm-hmm. how that changes lives. Then years after that, um, attempts at reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And then an epilogue. How did you decide to tell it like that after the fall, before the fall? That's a, you know, I, 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 I swear it just happened. I, I started to think about this thing. I'll tell you how this whole thing started, and, and uh, uh, it, it, you'll make fun of me. But, you know, for 50 years or so, I've been writing music, writing songs and everything. And, and I write a lot of songs. I, I write all the time. And I, I wrote a song for a group of songwriters that I meet with regularly. And it was called uh, uh, "It's Too Late Now to Sing Those Good Old Songs," and it was really about someone who who um, enjoyed playing music, but he he went to the bars. That's where the music is, and he he got hooked on alcohol. And so the song is about uh, that his his life uh, has taken this thing, and now it's too late. He can't get back into singing those old songs, and so. Uh, I wrote the song, and it, the song was only so-so, I think. you know, I didn't think it was one of my best. But I started thinking, that's a pretty good story, really. <laughs> and so everything kind of built on that. And um, I, I, I think I just started writing. And I thought, okay, I have this, I have this outline in mind of this guy who's going to bring these other guys together, and they're going to play music. And honestly, anytime you think about people who have long careers, successful careers – in our area, you think about Earl and Ernie Kate, you know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I almost, uh, uh, you know, when I, I mentioned it one one time where the, the guys got a little bit bigger and they were playing a little bit outside of Tulsa and Sepulpa and they came to Georgia's and played. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I thought about having Earl and Ernie be there to see them, you know, but I thought that I didn't have their permission to do that. Uh, but but it, it's sort of like, 
at a different level because uh, the Kate brothers, Earl and Ernie, are uh, have been stars. They they've done amazing things. American Bandstand, yeah, open for Queen, just, had a top forty hit, yeah. exactly. But they they they've done that over um, you know five decades, and so I thought, well, heck, if if uh, Earl and Ernie did it, these guys could play for a long, long time, you know. And in the book, I recognize or I, I acknowledge that towards the end, you get to be kind of a, a novelty thing. You know, these guys are 80 years old and they're still playing. You know? yeah. So uh, but it was it, that, that, that's where it all came from. And it just sort of grew as I uh, as I thought about it. I would think about it during the day. I'd write at night, you know. And just to point out, you're saying that the guys at Crossroads became a novelty, not that Ernie and Earl. Earl and Ernie are not they a novelty. Are still, right. <laughs> they're the real thing. Yes. I appreciate it. I can't remember. It's one of the characters who gets first introduced to country music through the grandfather. Mm-hmm. Is that? Smitty. Smitty. Okay, that is Smitty. I just felt seen because there's a page where he talks about how his grandfather kept the records. Alphabetical order and then in chronological order of release. It's like, is there another way to keep your music? I mean, <laughs> that's with... how everybody does it, right? That's exactly <laughs> what I thought, too. Yeah. And my son does that too. He lives in Chicago. He he said, "You only do them alphabetically. I do them alphabetically, and then you know, in order of release." So, and 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 I, you know, I have about ten thousand CDs, and it's alphabetical. Yep. Regardless of genre. Yes, you know, me too. Okay. Well, I thought his. I thought the best thing his grandfather ever did was tell him that's yeah. how you do that. I am so intrigued. Maybe this happens as we get older, but I'm so intrigued about stories of reconciliation, and I think the. For me, the best part of this book is when Smitty is considering reconciling uh-huh. with Jimmy. How do I do it? Is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Should I try? I don't want to give anything away, but it's an interesting, the the most interesting part of the story, I think. Yeah, and and he uh, Smitty continually throughout the throughout this book and throughout their lives after this book is over, <laughs> continued to lean on his wife had such, such love and, and respect for her. And, and he asked her, you know, should I do this? Uh, and, and she gave him, I thought, which, which I thought was a wonderful answer. You know, you, you have to do it because you're asking the question, you know. Lucinda Williams' recent memoir. I don't know if you, you've read it. I haven't it. read it yet, no. It's so good. Um, she discusses honestly an attempt to reconcile with someone she was associated with professionally, and they had a falling out over a studio recording. Uh-huh. And she attempts to reconcile, and it doesn't work. Yeah. And and it's interesting because there's no guarantee. No, there's not. And I think that I, I – when I came to that crossroads in the writing, I, I recognized that it was possible to have it just fall apart and not go. But, but then I just thought that reconciliation was so important to the everybody else in the story, you know, and, and – uh, I, I I really came to like those folks, and I like the fact that that you know uh, uh, Jimmy's ex-wife, who left him only because of the drinking, uh, had remarried. She brought her new husband to this reunion that they had, uh, and and one of the things he said because they were uh, you know welcoming her, uh, and they all hugged her, and then they all hugged him. He said, "This is the hugginest group of people I've ever seen." <laughs> And I thought uh, that that reminds me of a lot of people I know, but it it, um, it really struck home to me. I also think it's effective how you write about a milestone in maybe three or four words. You you don't you don't try to milk something for dramatic effect. Yeah. You just let the words 
and I think you know what I'm talking about. There's one thing. It's just like, oh. That was one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. It's just, it's like, this is what happened. And, and, uh, and, and I, I, some of the other people who've read it said the same thing. That's the part that really grabbed me, you know. All right, so you have characters in this book that have one guitar. You have characters that have multiple guitars. I know which one you are. I've got multiple guitars. More than two dozen? I, I've had as many as 27. <laughs> okay. But but now, right now, I'm down to like 17, I think, or maybe 18. Uh, and then various mandolins and, and, uh, and other kinds of instruments that I've made or, or uh, acquired along the way. Uh, I don't play mandolin well at all. I know a few chords. I wish I could play it better, but I've I've made uh, seven or eight mandolins, you know, just because um, you can only make so many guitars. There's only so much space in the house, you know. <laughs> so, and I love the mandolin, and I've so I've made some really nice ones. I wish I could play them better. One last question about the style. It's in these par- these, these these block paragraphs. Yeah. Why'd you do it that way? I liked it. <laughs> I, 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 that's a really good question. I think, uh, <laughs> I think I would, I wish I had a really good answer. I think, I, I think it's because, um, you know, I, as I said, I do a lot of technical writing, a lot of research kind of writing, and that is all uh, really prescriptive. Um, and, and I, in, in writing a lot of uh, quotations and a lot of uh, dialogue, I wasn't, I've never really had much experience with that. And so I just wanted to, for my own organizational p- purposes, to keep it kind of straight in my mind, you know. But I, I thought it turned out well as well. I did. Or else I would go back and uh, have gone back and changed it. But I really appreciate the fact that, that you enjoyed it because uh, 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 I don't want to get too crazy here, but I've admired your work for a long, long, long time. Well, thank you. And uh, as I wrote to you in the email when I was asking you to come in, it's a book that hits differently, I'm sure, for someone who's yeah. 60 or so than a reader who would be 30 yeah, or 20. And I also think it has a, it's, it's a niche market for sure. If you never played guitar and you never tried to start a band in junior high, it may not mean that much to you. I think... I didn't try to do that. I'm not musical at all, but I knew people who did. Yeah. And I know people who are still in these kinds of bands. Yes, they is. don't think they're going to hit it big. They'll release an album, but they enjoy it. They yeah. love it. Congratulations. What, on thank the you very much. I appreciate you. Keith Fire's novel, The Black Telecaster, A Crossroads Story, is available now and is published by Constantina Press. He spoke with Kyle last week. Yesterday, another author, Jeff Ayers, spent some time in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Last fall, Jeff was on our program to talk about his novel, Skate the Thief. It's a book about a 10-year-old girl who enlists the help of a wizard to get away from a crime syndicate. They accepted. uh, They asked for the manuscript. They read the whole thing, and they said, yes, we like this. I thought, well, that's great. Um, And then they, uh, a week or two later, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send it to our editor. She'll get back to you with notes, which is wonderful for me because I don't have an editor. This was all me Mm -hmm. up to this point. Um, And so I believe the process went submit manuscript, get revisions back, make the revisions, send it back, get another round of revisions back, then send that back. And then the last round was uh, typos, uh, grammar, uh, little commas and stuff like that. they got to be cleaned up. Um, But overall, between the time of me writing my first draft and submitting it, I went through four drafts uh, of the book before publication. All that hard work paid off. The next book in the series, Skate the Seeker, 
is scheduled to be released next month. We discussed the new book yesterday and also why he's excited to teach creative writing to Rogers High School students this approaching fall. That conversation will air soon on our show in advance of the release of the new book. And another guest update. This past spring, we talked with Tenny Rain Butler. She's a University of Arkansas graduate who played soccer for the Razorbacks and was returning to Fayetteville in April to accept an early career award from the College of Engineering. All impressive stuff. But we talked to her mostly about another passion of hers, music. She's recorded several singles and an EP. And this past April, she talked with us about developing an early love for music and one particular artist. And so on any given weekend, we were in the backseat of the minivan on our way to somewhere. And and so we had, I, I grew up in the time of CDs. So we had a six CD changer there in, in the minivan. And Nancy Griffith was one of the ones that was in heavy rotation. Now Tenny has released a new song, Goldenrod. Tenny Rain Butler's new song, Goldenrod, can be found on major online music sites, and you can find it also, as well as more about her, at TennyRain.com. A full album is expected next year, and she's going back into the studio next month to record more music. This is Ozarks at Large. Attention KUAF listeners, your favorite monthly concert series, The Lunch Hour, highlighting local artists and local restaurants, is taking the stage and receiving national recognition, all on NPR live sessions. From the hard-hitting raps about Searcy, Arkansas by Eddie Canyon to the beautiful electronic classical music by Amos Cochran, not to mention great conversations from artists, restaurant owners, and many more. See some of your favorite local artists sharing a platform with artists like Leon Bridges, Saba, and more. Experience the energy, passion, and talent that's putting Arkansas on the national map. And don't miss out on this extraordinary opportunity to support local music and celebrate KUAF's newfound national recognition. All you have to do is go to NPR Live Sessions and search KUAF. That's NPR slash Live Sessions and search KUAF. There are scores of places you can drive to in our region to see art. Each gallery and museum has its own personality and mission. Art Ventures in Fayetteville invest deeply in not just art, but artists. The nonprofit hosts a gallery on South Hill Avenue in Fayetteville, but it also helps artists extend their reach beyond the gallery. On this week's episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, host Randy Wilburn talks with Lakeisha Edwards, the executive director of Art Ventures. She says there are basic principles guiding Art Ventures. Artist representation, where we represent local artists, primarily local artists, and really try to put them into mainstream spaces that they either don't know how to get into or they may feel intimidated by all the red tape that it takes to have installations in public spaces. And then we also have art education, which is with our youth program that takes kids from research 
to reception. So our K through 12 gallery initiative starts off with research. We research either an artist or a type of art, choose a medium, allow the kids to not only create the art, but also an artist statement that provides a voice and allows those kids to really say who they want to be perceived as in the world. Then we take them through the entire reception process, which they usually get very excited about from the (laughs) labels to what are we going to eat? We had one reception where (laughs) this little boy was like, I want deviled eggs. And it was such a big deal that we had deviled eggs. It's just amazing some of the the small things that we take for granted that kids are so appreciative of. So really giving them that voice, allowing them to see their own creations being celebrated and then putting them in a public space so that they can be celebrated openly and not just in private. And last but not least is our community collaboration. And anyone who has followed our work knows that that is a huge component of what we do. We know that there are many people who are in marginalized communities that will not naturally gravitate to arts and culture. So we go into those communities, we find other organizations that are doing the good work and are connecting with the communities that we want to give access to. And then we make sure that we are connected, interconnected in that programming so that we can reach those audiences. When people come into our space, we want them to feel very comfortable being in an arts and culture space because everyone deserves to take up space in that in that type of arena. In the arts ecosystem, a lot of times people kind of look at artist receptions as for the elite. Oh, you know, what am I going to wear? Who's going to be there? (laughs) And when you come to Art Ventures, you do kind of need to consider who's going to be there because it could be anyone. Um, We've had lots of star guests, as you know, some would say. But I feel like the real star of the show are those who have never been in an art space and they come in and instantly feel comfortable. We had a reception this past weekend or actually some programming for neurodivergent youth and a little girl. I heard about that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Damara was telling me, Damara Baker from Rock and Bake, who has been a guest on this podcast, mm-hmm. was telling me about that. She And I was out of town this weekend, so I couldn't attend, but I heard it was excellent. Yeah, it was. And we had so many people coming in that our neurodivergent artist had to actually do her session more than once. And but the little girl that came in, what really warmed my heart was her dad took her coat off and then she starts taking off her shoes and her socks. And I was like, you're comfortable, aren't you, baby? And I was like, that's what we want. We want people to come in and feel comfortable. We want them. I joke and say that Art Ventures in the Putman house where we are currently, it's like your rich auntie's house. You know, it's not yours, but, you know, you can act like it is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's great. And I mean, you guys are really I mean, as you as you described it, you are creating space for those that have have not traditionally been in these art spaces, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's one thing to go up the road a piece to Crystal Bridges and walk through that collection and, you know, it is very it is it is very much a museum. But I think what you guys have created is more it can be more internalized and experienced at a different level. Yes. Right. And that's not that's no shade against Crystal Bridges. Crystal Bridges is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And the momentary is what it is. But I think what you offer at Art Ventures allows almost everyone to have a, a place and a space to it to learn about and appreciate and enjoy art. And all of these things have space in our community. But we have artists that have shown in Crystal Bridges. We have artists right now that are in Crystal Bridges gift shop. We have a artist that is in the ledger, the new building in Bentonville. We have artists that are in 21C Museum, um, 21C Hotel, which also has a museum inside of it. So we need all of these spaces. But what we also need is for people to really support 
the local nonprofits that are pushing the locals into these spaces. Yeah. We don't want people to get into the habit of thinking that they have to go to the moon to get something <laughs> that's impressive. Right. We have some really impressive artists right here in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, we do. And I mean, how do you I mean, how do you guys keep track of all of these amazing artists and how do you identify people whose artwork you'd like to not only share at Art Ventures, but maybe expose in other ways. How does that work? Because I mean, I, I think everybody and their mother is collaborating here to do artwork of some sort. But how do you do that? How do you manage that? Well, first and foremost, we do have to go through a sort of courtship with the artists to ensure that they are mission aligned because we are a mission driven nonprofit organization. So we don't just look at someone's artwork and say, oh, this is amazing. We actually want to talk to them and make sure it's a good fit because- sure. We may not be for everyone, right? If you don't truly believe that art is for everyone, we may not be for you. We also want to make sure that we have artists that really appreciate what we provide. There may be an artist that is doing their own thing. They're really hustling to get into other places. They're doing their own media website. They may feel that they don't need representation. Yeah. But there may be another artist that says, you know, I do work. I have social media, but I don't use it much. I've got a website, don't have the time to update it. I'm not able to be a full-time artist. Let us take some of that off your plate. Let us go and negotiate. Let us sign the contracts. Let us provide insurance. Let us go and sign up for all these different fairs and places where we take the artwork. And you can sit at home on your couch yeah, <laughs> and yeah, wait for a sale. Sure. Um, well, not really, because we do need you to, <laughs> to, get out to participate yeah, and absolutely. to give us the information and to um, share it on on your own social media and to be engaged and involved. But it's a much, it's a larger load taken off an artist when they are represented because they have someone that's consistently putting their names in rooms that they're not in and consistently taking their artwork into spaces where they can gain more exposure. Yeah. And you know, it's like I say, every time I look up, I see an Art Ventures installation somewhere. And in case in point, we were talking about it before we started recording that you guys have it kind of like an ongoing installation at Theater Squared. Yes. Shout out to Theater Squared, yes. Chris Seawood and the rest of the team there. You guys are doing amazing work. And like I tell people, Theater Squared, one of the best regional theaters that you're going to find in the country. I put them up with the biggest of the big playhouses. I think Theater Squared does an amazing job. And it's one of the things that I tell people, it's one of the first things that I tell people about when they come here. In addition to the art, I'm like, the theater is amazing here as well. And so, but how do you set up and, and create these different connection points for these installations that Art Ventures is a part of, like Theater Squared? I'm a talker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with, with your social work background, you got that honestly, I'm a right? Person. Yeah. Um, you know, I go into spaces, I look around and I imagine what can be done. And then I talk to whoever I can talk to to see if we can make it happen. That is how um, the installation even at the airport came about. I, I came heard about back that. from Dallas, went to visit a friend. I come home and I was like, oh, look at that. I called Northwest Arkansas home. Hmm. Well, I came back. <laughs> right. I looked around and was like, with all of the things that we're doing in the arts, why is there no art here? Yeah. And that was before they started putting some of the installations they have now. But I was like, who do I talk to? And no one would talk to me. I called, I emailed, I tried to reach out to people. I was just like, oh my God, how do I get in touch with someone? 
So I finally get in touch with Andrew Branch, and he was absolutely amazing. Shout out to Andrew. He yeah, been, Andrew's a good. Yeah, he's, he's a, a good really dude. Good guy. And we talked for probably two hours before finally he was just like, you know what? I think this is a good idea. Right. But it was because we just had good conversation. You know, he was just a, a good guy. And once we had that conversation, I was like, okay, now what? Because now I've got to find someone to curate this. I've got to figure out what artists are going to be engaged. I've got to figure out who's going to pay for this installation. And we had some very gracious donors that stepped up and we had some other individuals um, that we represent. Even some of our representative artists stepped up and was like, hey, I'll help draw this out. I'll mm-hmm. help do this. Had some community partners that stepped in. I had someone randomly on Facebook reach out to me and say, hey, how can I help? And they drew like some of the original plans. So it was definitely a collaborative effort, but I was very grateful that I'm in a space where that type of thing can happen because there are cities where no matter who you call, no matter who you email, if you don't have a certain name, if you don't have enough money, you can't be in those spaces. And Northwest Arkansas is just one of those special places where if you can talk to the right person, if you can get to the good guys, then, you know, all is well and you can really make things happen. Lakeisha Edwards is the executive director of Art Ventures. You can hear the entire conversation she had with Randy Wilburn on this week's episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. The podcast can be found at KUAF.com, and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you need to get rid of your old car? Why not donate it to KUAF? It could provide hundreds of dollars of support to your favorite programs. All you have to do is call 855-500-RIDE and schedule a pickup. It will be towed, sold, and you will get a receipt for your taxes. Find more information on the membership support page at KUAF.com. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, frontline workers are eligible for a one-time $600 check, courtesy of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Workers are already thinking about how they'll utilize this relief money. And one of them said, I'm going to save it for a rainy day because rainy days mean we don't get paid. Ozark State Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith brings us more details about this stimulus check tomorrow at noon and at 7 p.m. on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. Contributors to our show today included Randy Wilburn with additional reporting provided by Daniel Carruth and the news team at KUAR in Little Rock. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and West Fork. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Today's show assembled in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 at the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. All right, a couple of things that have happened just this morning. It's Mm -hmm. been announced that Tab Benoit, guitarist Extraordinaire coming to Temple Live October 8th. Public tickets will go on sale Friday. And Contractor Growth Network today ranked Arkansas the second lowest when it comes to spending money on home improvements, roughly $2,700 a year per household. So Does that sound like your budget? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. We're back with the show tomorrow. Rave Cultural Foundation presents House Concert featuring Kelly and Donna Mulholland and Vidya Ramachan Diramani. August 27th from 3 to 4.30 p.m. at Kalaloka Institute of Fine Arts. Tickets and information at ra-veculturalfoundation.org slash events.